0: Poya here with Uncharted and Eclectic. Thank you so much for joining us. I'd love for you to kick us off by a nice intro about yourself, your background, your upbringing, and just give the listeners some context on who you are.
1: It's a question I personally have been trying to figure out uh, recently, because I think for me... Um, I grew up in a single-parent home, uh, and then my mom got remarried, and we moved from Chicago to Michigan, and I actually stumbled upon a journal of mine from when I was like 12, which is when we actually moved, and that journal gave me a little bit of insight into this question of who am I and how, in my opinion, I always believe that the past definitely shapes your future. I was a history major in college. And so, by personally reviewing my past and looking at, I grew up in church. So, you know, we were at church like five days a week uh, from nine to five, it felt like. But in those environments, what I noticed was that that's where, you know, my tenacity, my resilience, my ability to, what, what this, in the professional world they call woo, uh, it, that's where it was kind of cultivated. Because, for example, you know, for Christmas program or Easter program, you were up on the stage and you were just exuding loads of charisma, loads of, of energy and excitement. Uh, and I think that foundation helped me to navigate different areas, even in Silicon Valley. And so, you know, who am I? It, it's such an interesting question because I think as a person of color, as a woman, someone who went to Berkeley, Howard University, I've been shaped and experiencing so many different environments, but how do you recognize who you are despite those environments and even included in those environments, if that makes sense. And so for me, I think I have to look back at, you know, that transition from Chicago to Michigan and then the transition from university to California and just being able to recognize, oh, I'm not in I'm not in an undergrad anymore, and it becomes a whole nother beast when you're like in the real world and you you have to actually adult. And what does adulting mean? And how do you make choices that have some significant consequences? But for me, uh, I think I've I've always wanted to make a choice that went against the grain. And so after college, I Moved to California and started working for a nonprofit. And crazy enough, I was making a hundred dollars a month living in East Palo Alto, which, if people aren't familiar, that's right next to Palo Alto, which is one of the richest places in the world. And so I had to work at IKEA and I was working for food, also a food nonprofit. So I was working for two nonprofits and IKEA making breakfast and lunch, you know, the Swedish meatballs. I made those. And so <laughs> here I am sitting with a graduate degree and it made me really appreciate one people's hustle and knowing that not anything is promised to you and you really do have to grind you have to put in the work and you have to realize that everybody has something that they can give and they can offer and you must appreciate that but you also must make sure your voice is heard and seen Uh, and so I think that's how I've, I've been able to navigate so many personalities that you come across, especially in sales, whether that be a VP of sales or even a a customer or a prospect. And so how do you I guess this is what I'm asking myself constantly is how do I protect myself, but how do I also make sure that the other person on the other line is being seen and heard?
0: Story, because it's it's real and it's it's who you are and it's why people have come to appreciate you as a person, Brianna. I, I do wanna call out a few things uh, just right off the bat. And uh, one of the things that you brought up is this just concept of awareness, right? Self-awareness specifically. And why I find it so valuable is just how you've come to know about like who you are as a person, your strengths, your weaknesses, I'm sure. Uh, and I, I elude this because, um, Like for me, for example, one of the drivers for myself in terms of motivation is not letting others down, right? It's a fear of failure uh, in letting like loved ones down or something, right? So it's why I go to uh, 5.30 a.m. like classes or something, right? Because it's it's Mm -hmm. the driver because I don't wanna let down my trainer or something, right? Versus Mm -hmm. me trying to do it on my own, right? So how do you think Um, the self-awareness that you've described plays to your strengths or weaknesses?
1: Yeah, so I think the self-awareness, the way that it plays to my weakness, let's go weakness and strength. The way that it plays to my weakness is that sometimes it hinders me from using the power of no. Because for me, my personality, I'm a helper. I want to make sure that somebody is, you know, being served or being seen, etc., and not recognizing that in this in my inability to say no, what it does is it cripples me and it cripples them. So while trying to be selfless, I end up actually hurting and doing more devastation than if I had just used that power of no. On the flip side of that by understanding who I am, I can recognize that I do have agency to say no. And if I say no, that does not mean that the person doesn't like me. That doesn't mean that the opportunity is not available. But what that does mean is that I'm stepping into the situation as unequivocally Brianna Michelle Carter. And that is the truth. That is that is all that needs to be everything else is a bystander of that but I can only live what I know and my truth is, in that moment is I want to exercise the power of no or the power of yes but I want to utilize my choice and if I don't have that anymore then you could throw out the whole idea of self-awareness because I've just made you the authority of my life and that's I don't know if we can cuss on this podcast but that's some bullshit
0: You can definitely be as real as you want, Uh, absolutely. The other thing you brought up was this concept of, you've been in a a lot of different environments, right? Chicago, Detroit, Howard's in Washington, then coming out to Northern California, uh, and in some aspects, right? You've gone through uh, some really difficult environments where you've had to make uh, sacrifices or have had to deal with inconveniences, right? How do you think that shaped Who you are today, like bringing it all back. Like, what's the impact those different environments have had for good or bad on you?
1: You know, I think the biggest, when the biggest kind of impact I personally saw was moving from California to London because I was now in a completely new pond. (laughs) I was across the pond in a new pond. And when you, when I navigated from Chicago to Michigan to DC, I could leverage the fact that for the most part, we could all have some common understanding because we were American for the most part, or we share similar values. And I'm really good at adapting. Obviously I've moved around. So adaptability and being able to pick out certain things that I can kind of cling to that makes us similar in some ways. And, Overlook the differences, very easy to do in American context. In Europe, it's completely different. And so what I've been able to learn about myself, not only am I adaptable, I'm flexible, but I'm funny. And I think, I know this is strange and in the business context, like what does that have to do with it? But it really does humanize anything that you're talking about. And when you can humanize a situation, you then can get to the root of maybe what you're trying to negotiate, what you're trying to leverage, et cetera. And so I think I was able to have a deeper understanding of that skill and being able to bring that into multiple contexts, whether that be uh, on a sales call or if it be in the pub, et cetera. I think that's been for me one of the biggest learnings.
0: Uh, So you brought up this fact of uh... Like can you give a specific example like and, and how you put that into action yourself? Like for the listeners that want to implement some of the learnings that you're going through about making it more human, like how do you do that day to day, whether it's in business, personal life? Give us some examples so we can implement it as well.
1: Yeah. So for example, I cover Germany. Uh and I, if you have German listeners, I think they might appreciate this, it, depending upon where you are in Germany. So if you're in Berlin versus you're in Munich, the the vibe or the, the aurora that someone might have differs. And so the best thing to do, what I what I try to do often, is immediately try to call out the elephant in the room. And I have an example of when I didn't do this and how it backfired on me. So when I usually do this, I say, you know what? I'm American. I'm probably to you very brash, very loud and kind of in your face. And they're like, oh, she knows who she is. Great. Let's do business. The moment I don't do that, I was at a conference. I was speaking at a conference and I was a prospect of mine was there. So I went up to the booth and for me, I was just trying to introduce myself, make friendly. And the guy said, where are you from? And I said, America, he said, oh, is that where you learned your sales skills? And I was gutted, uh, as the Brits say. It really threw me for a loop. And I said, oh, yeah, of course. And later on, uh, a colleague of mine said, yeah, he was essentially saying that you were very overwhelming and uh, quite brash. And I said, oh, okay. And so I think hopefully the listeners are staying with me. I think it it really does help, if you can, to call out maybe some unspoken stereotypes, even if they aren't true, so that it disarms people. Uh, And for me, that's been really helpful, especially uh, for European countries, where there's already some conceived ideas about Americans, especially sales reps.
0: No, I'm, I'm cracking up here just based on uh, the stories you're sharing. It's it's bringing up some of my own stories uh, as well. Uh, let, let's take a, uh, a step further and transition to maybe like the business side of the things. In terms of like your background, right? Uh, you've moved around uh, from place to difference uh, like and you decided to basically go to Europe why did you make the decision to move from the U.S. to Europe with the assumption that you were doing really well, right? Uh, in Silicon Valley, working for a great company, making good money. Why did you make that change?
1: Well, at the time, it, the leadership within the organization I was in they positioned the opportunity to come to Europe to expand our commercial segment. Uh, and that opportunity found it very sweet to me, it was quite an enticing offer. That's something that I could always speak to is the opportunity to say, look, not only have I done business in the States, I now know how to do business abroad, across different countries in Europe. So I think that was why I was very, uh, I wasn't reluctant at all to say yes. Although I was crushing it in the States and had the opportunity to start doing enterprise. But I just felt like enterprise was always gonna be there uh, for whatever company. But the opportunity to go abroad, uh, that was an opportunity I didn't wanna miss.
0: Okay, and then you alluded to it earlier in the call. What's been some of the most surprising things for you, right? going from the U.S. to Europe, for good or bad? Like, what have been the pros and cons, some of the most surprising things that some of us that have not really uh, worked in Europe might not know about?
1: Yeah, I think for me, because if you guys can tell, I'm a people person, uh, which is why I love sales and why I do well, people first. And so in the States, you kind of know the stereotypes, you know, if you sell to a New Yorker, the difference between that and selling to somebody from Florida, et cetera. And so I had to learn fairly quickly the differences between a Romanian and someone in Germany versus a Brit uh, and what somebody in Norway would take versus someone in the Netherlands. And just knowing that every country was its own ball game. And even still, people are people. So even if I felt like, oh, I know what a German is like, oh, the nuance of somebody from Munich versus somebody from Berlin. And so that was quite interesting. When I was in Berlin, I told uh, a customer, I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to Munich this afternoon. And she looked at me like, you fool. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to get on the train. She's like, Munich is like two hours away, girl. And I was like, oh, I really just thought it was like, you know, next town over. And so, uh, just the little things like that, right? Just knowing, okay, how big countries are, I had no idea. And uh, also the different personalities. But one of the things that has been really good is that, especially in Europe right now, tech is booming. Tech is on is still on the upwards of its you know, claim to fame, let's say. And so, whereas in the States, Silicon Valley, you know, there are certain tried and true methods. People have their rhythms. You know what industry you're gonna be in, what to expect. It's still like the wild west over here. And so, I that's really exciting for me. The fact that tech here is still uh, in its infancy stage in some ways, um, that's super exciting. And I think especially for early stage companies, there's a lot of money uh, and a lot of of capital being raised to really increase um, different startups, especially in the food kind of FinTech, obviously, if you're in the UK, that's massive. Uh, For me, that's really, really cool. Like I mentioned earlier, when I started in California, I was working for a nonprofit in the food sector. And so just thinking about how can we bring tech to food and not just your food delivery, like that's great. Like Deliveroo is, you know, one of the fastest growing tech companies here in the UK, but thinking about how we process our food, how we package it, the process of delivering it to different manufacturers uh, and even the shelf life. When you put that fresh greens in the refrigerator, do you know, if you ate it two weeks later, what nutrients go away after two weeks of sitting in the refrigerator? And creating tech that helps to facilitate that information, that's huge. That's gonna power the world you know, 15 years from now. And I think the, specifically the UK, they're on the precipice of creating something spectacular in that regard.
0: Good, great to hear, great to hear uh and thanks so much for the context uh, i gotta get you a a google maps app or something for the next time you're 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 in berlin trying to go to munich or to your next. oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it's so embarrassing <laughs> uh, it, it, I, one thing i don't think we've done um yet on the call is to give people some context on like who you work for what does hackerank do uh as well as you've had a lot of success at Hackerank over the last five years, right? And you've gone through a lot of promotions. So would love for you to just elaborate a little about what the company does, what you do within the organization, uh, as well as like what are the different promotions you've gone through while you've been at Hackerank and what has been maybe challenging or unique about each one?
1: Yeah, so HackerRank is a HR software that helps recruiters and engineers uh, hire in a more efficient way, specifically for software developers. And so oftentimes uh, when an engineer engages in an interview with a company, they'll receive a HackerRank assessment and that assessment helps the company just understand their skills Uh, in a hopefully in a more fair and equitable way so that it's not just your resume that they're looking at, but it's actually, you know, how well you code and whether or not you could solve the problems they're working on. Now, that's HackerRank in a very high level um, kind of spiel, a little elevator pitch. (laughs) What I do now is I help mid-market companies across Europe implements HackerRank and I think when I started I was helping enterprise companies I was an SDR just take a meeting right you know when I first started shout out to Casey uh, Malloy he was my team lead Uh, when I started as an SDR he was kind of my mentor And I remember going into a room with him and I was like, I want to quit. It was like my first month. And he was like, oh my gosh, what? Like you're doing well. I said, yeah, this is like a glorified telemarketer. I don't want to do this. And he was like, you know, I think you should just give it some more time. Uh, And he was very instrumental uh, in just helping me get started and understanding sort of the role And from there, it took about seven months. I was very keen to get out of that role. So I knew straight away, oh, I just need to grind. Uh, And it was pretty simple. You just put in the hours, put up. The analogy I like to give is if you put up enough shots, they will eventually fall, which they did. And so I became a manager of that team. And a big lesson there is you really want to tread lightly when you go from being an, uh, a peer to now being a manager and I was very young and very kind of headstrong and I think looking back it was definitely the tone of it's my way or the highway and that message uh, was not very well received and I get it now as I'm a little bit older maybe hopefully a little bit wiser I understand that that approach uh, never bodes well especially for peers that maybe felt like, oh, they have enough years of experience and just as much as I do, or even more. And why, why didn't they get the opportunity? And so I did that. And then afterwards I realized, oh, I love being the individual contributor where I can control everything. Because as a manager, you find out very quickly you can't really control anything <laughs> uh, and so or very little. And so I went back to um, running just SMB. And so I became a full cycle rep for the SMB function. And I did that and then got promoted to mid-market. And then the opportunity came to go abroad. And now I am in London. And I think for me, throughout all these transitions, the biggest learning is know your worth. And it's been a while. It took me a while. To really understand kind of what my worth is and whether or not that worth was being valued and recognized and when it wasn't being brave enough and having the courage and speaking with mentors and being able to say you know what this is not acceptable or i would like to be considered for this raising your hand drawing attention to and advocating for yourself and hopefully you know having Uh, some champions that are in a higher position also champion for you in that regard. And uh, I think that's been one of the biggest learnings I've had throughout my tenure here at Hacker Inc. Uh,
0: So many good stories uh, that you brought up and it it brings up so many different questions that I just want to really quickly uh, highlight. Uh, One of them was, uh, how tough it was the first month or first couple of weeks, like anything else, right? When you start in something new, it becomes a little more difficult. Uh, what, what was that light bulb moment uh, for you? Like knowing that, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna put in my time. Like there's no going back. I'm not gonna give up. Was it something that Casey said? Was it something else? Like when did that light bulb come up, right? Uh, and like that just completely shifted your mentality uh, when you had first joined as an SDR at HackRank.
1: Yeah, it, it, there wasn't one light bulb, there was like a collection of them, so, and I vividly remember a few of them, so one was the conversation with Casey, the second one was actually seeing uh, you, Poya, and Farah circle the floor, Um, I don't know if the listeners know this, but Poya would have like a headset, and he'd just walk around the floor, and just like, fire off calls and try to close deals on the phone on the floor and that gave me so much fire and energy and juice and I was like oh I'm about to be on this phone grinding it out like this the third thing was um the CEO Vivek actually sat next to me for a period of time uh, as well as Dawn who's our manager and sitting next to these two I was like oh shit. well I'm gonna have to do well (laughs) I just had too much pride. I was never, I've played sports my entire life. I always played basketball and I've always been a starter. And so at that moment, I'm like, Kobe Bryant, if I have the ball, I'm going to score. And so, you know, that energy and that almost pressure that to some might seem like pressure to me, that was like, ooh, I'm on the stage. It's my time to shine. It goes back to being a little girl in black church on stage. I knew exactly what I needed to do to get the applause in some ways. And then the fourth, I just had community. I had people around me outside of work that said, you know what Brianna, you're you're really good at this. Uh, And even when I had low days, I remember what was difficult as an SDR was that you get so many no's. And one of my friends said, this is crazy. He said, there are good fucked up people and bad fucked up people. And what you have to recognize is the difference between the two when you get a no. And when you do get a no, just know that they aren't saying no to you, they're saying no to HackerRank. And that what made all the difference. I was like, oh, they still like me? Okay. Uh, so I think all of those were sort of my light bulb moments to keep going.
0: Love it. It's. Uh... I think a couple of lessons I think I would call out there. One is it, knowing that the rejection, right, especially in sales, it's a lot of the time it's, it's because of different factors, whatever they may be, right, and you can't take it personal. Otherwise, you're going to go crazy. Um, but I'm going to go back to your story. One thing that you brought up, uh, which is what some people go through, right, which is this promotion where you go from becoming a peer – to now you have to lead a team, whether it's as a lead or a manager. Uh, what was the most surprising thing to you? And if you, were to, if you were able to go back right to that moment, what would you maybe do differently? Right? Uh, I know you alluded to some of it now, but like if you had the opportunity, like, what do you think was some of the mistakes you've made? How did you identify it? How would you maybe next time do it all over again?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the mistakes is believing that you know what the problem is because as a peer, you thought you knew what they were doing wrong, what your peer was doing wrong. Uh, And so you then take that approach or that, what you thought the problem was, and you bring that as now a manager and wearing your manager hat, you address what you thought the problem was when you were a peer. And that is actually probably the wrong way to go about it. It's very much, you need to, as a manager, reevaluate what the areas of growth and opportunities are. And in collaboration with your your new, uh, uh, the person you're leading. And so with your new team, that to me was something that I didn't, I didn't know. And I think for any new manager out there, it's really, really important that you have a manager or um, a peer group of managers that you can lean on, that you can go to for questions, for support, for stories on how to, how to answer things in a one-on-one, how to structure one-on-ones. For me, I, I remember vividly trying to do one-on-ones almost in like the same style for everybody. And just like, you're gonna bend to my style. And they were kind of looking at me like, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, I am your manager. And they're like, yeah, no. And so I get it now, right? I think uh, I would definitely want to be more collaborative and to ensure that the person or the team that you're leading, that they trust you. I think trust is a huge, huge, huge component that is often not talked about in the sales world and how do you build trust? with the team and how do they know that you're going to ride or die for them and that doesn't mean that you always agree uh but that trust is there and you're trying to build that from from the beginning of the relationship so that for me was a big learning um yeah i think having a support team is also huge
0: awesome yeah i could have said it better myself right you need to have a set of mentors, coaches, whatever you want to call them. Uh, sometimes preferably helps to have it be outside of the organization, right? So mm-hmm. they don't have that bias. Uh, but the other thing you brought up, which it, I, I don't know if you had done this or not, is to have that conversation, right? Like right up front where you have to communicate, right? The, look, the roles have changed at least in a work capacity, right? Uh, and you've you got to earn that trust over time, but, it's really hard to expect more until that conversation and that has been set in stone. Um, One of the last questions I'm gonna ask before we get into uh, the end of the episode is, uh, look, you've done a lot of things over those last five years. You've had a lot of success. What is the thing that you think drives you? Like, where does that motivation, where does that fire come from, from your perspective?
1: I don't know, I mean i I do know, but I don't know. I think for me, a lot of the drives it, it comes from my upbringing, you know it comes from the fact that I come from hard working women who were putting in hours to make sure that their families have food on the table or roof over their head. I think that's that was just like ingrained in me from a little girl. Uh, I think in terms of my brand, uh, one of my mentors always talks to me about, you need a brand and that brand needs to have values and that brand needs to have a mission statement, a vision. And you need to drive to make sure that that happens. And I think I've always felt like, okay, am I making sure that Brianna Incorporated is exhibiting the the things that I value and that just helps with having I guess what you would say a drive a hustle and I've always felt like this I said look I'm smart but I know for for one thing I'm going to work harder than the most person the most average person and I know that that couples with the fact that I do sometimes work smarter not harder I'm just gonna I'm gonna be number one I'm going to crush it And I think having that mentality has just always benefited me and always suited me. Uh, So I guess I do know the answer, but I'm always searching. I'm always searching for what is driving me and doing that like self inventory because sometimes I think the motivation can be um, ill-suited and not uh, very beneficial for even myself. And so when that does occur and I'm driving for something that is just not aligned with my vision and my, and my mission, then I need to adjust. And so I'm always searching for, you know, what is driving me? So I think it's a great question to always kind of have at the forefront.
0: Love it, love it. Uh, we're gonna come to the end of the show um, and we're gonna do what I call uh, the fireway round. I'm gonna ask you a question and then you basically have 30 to 60 seconds to answer. Uh, are you ready?
1: I am not, but go ahead.
0: Okay, tell us about a mentor you've had or a coach that's had a uh, really huge impact on you, and what made this person great.
1: Yeah, I and I actually just kind of answered that. Nicole Clark, uh, she's a VP for Goldman Sachs, and her mentorship has been the world, just kind of guiding me on about my core values, what's important to me, and how I use that to shape how I do business how I carry myself. And so she's just been instrumental in uh, showing me what it takes to be a leader, uh, someone who is shaking stuff up, uh, even in the financial world.
0: Very well said. Thanks, Nicole. And this next question, what do you, uh, what do you wish you had known when you had started out? Uh, or sorry, let me rephrase this. The next question, what do you wish you had known that you know now when you had started in the business world five years ago?
1: To always ask for more money. <laughs> to always ask for more money. Uh, cause the worst thing that they can say is no, but at least you ask for it. Know your worth.
0: Okay. Very well said. And, and how often like what's, is there a right time? Is there a way you, cause it, it it's good. Um, it's, it's, it's a really good tip, but it can be dangerous for that context. Right. So how often, how do you approach it? Like just, I know we're going off. Yeah. But what, yeah,
1: no, but, so the lesson I learned was I asked for money (laughs) at a time where I think traditionally people say you, you should not. So If the business maybe isn't doing as well, or maybe your performance isn't doing as well, typically they say, that's a time where you should not ask for more money. What I would say to kind of counter that is if you've proven your worth and there have been historicals, we're in sales, paint the picture, articulate the value that you bring to the organization. And from there, I think you're warranted to ask for money. Uh, or ask for whatever you want to ask for, uh, and so for me, that's been my experience. The lesson I learned was, when the going is good, ask for more money. But who knows? Maybe that's that will be a reason to say no. I think you can always talk yourself out of uh, the out of. You can always talk yourself out of asking for something, but the best thing for me, at least, is just to go for it. What do you think?
0: think in any way you're underpaid or undervalued, right? You got to make the ask. Uh, but the point that you brought up, which is, I think you got to do it when there's momentum, right? Whether it's for yourself, for the company, whatever it may be. And the next thing you got to do is you got to state the facts, right? Hey, the reason I deserve this, uh, is for X, Y, and Z, right? I've done this, whereas others have not Right. Um, But for some of it, I think having been on the other side, right, as a manager or as a leader, uh, for some of it, you also got to understand, like, you got to have that consistency. That concludes the show uh, and the episode today. I hope you've had as much fun as I've had. Uh, Before we say our goodbyes, uh, I just have two follow-up questions. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity. I know you've thanked and given a shout-out to multiple people. If there's anybody else you want to give a shout-out to or – give thanks to, uh, feel free to do so.
1: Well, Poya, thank you so much for the opportunity to be uh, a guest. Uh, we, it, it, shout out to Jess Oni; she was my manager at one point. And we did a call blitz. And in this call blitz, we also did like bingo. And so if you got on the line and maybe someone said, oh, you know, I'm busy, you could kind of cross that off on the bingo uh, chart. And we did it for about an hour, and we did it two days in a row. And those moments, that camaraderie, that vibrancy of the energy, the excitement, that just felt magical. Uh, It felt so special to be calling and and doing dials, which is something that we always do, but it, it was a new twist to it. So I'll always remember that moment. It's been great to kind of go down memory lane in some ways. Uh, I will just give a shout out to uh, Kevin, Kevin Russell. He and I are doing a a project together right now. And uh, please, I don't know if this is appropriate, but if you can, uh, Reset Sales is where we are, where you can find us, resetsales.io. And yeah, I would say I would leave it there.
0: Cool. And if people want to reach out to you say hello connect with you or hey are you open to that and, and two what would be the best way to do
1: yeah uh you can find me on linkedin uh brianna carter and i'll be the best way to reach out
0: awesome well thanks so much brianna and hopefully see you sooner rather than later yeah thanks william helps engineers and engineering managers become great leaders And how do they do that? Well, Plato helps you find the perfect mentor thanks to its network of experienced engineering leaders who work at the world's best tech companies. For a monthly fee, you have unlimited access to mentors who can help when you have challenging situations as a manager. Visit them at PlatoHQ.com.